This audio presentation is brought to you by the Baptist Missionary Association Theological Seminary. The BMA Seminary provides accredited theological education for equipping God's people for Christ-centered service and leadership roles with three online degrees available now. We are committed to the inerrancy and authority of Holy Scripture and to making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information about the BMA Seminary and its online degree programs, go to bmats.edu or call toll-free 800-259-5673. That's 800-259-5673. Well, I have to correct one thing that Dr. Holmes said. I was not saved under the ministry of Dr. Dorman. But I have men on the mural out there. I knew most of them, and uh, I actually joined the church when Dr. Dean Jackson was preaching on a Sunday morning. I was baptized that night by his son, Carol Jackson, who was our pastor at the time, and uh, always been close to that family. Strange things in the providence of God sometimes. Uh, my first pastor was Dr. Dean Jackson. I was baptized by his son, Carol Jackson. I entered the Army at Jackson, Mississippi. I went to Fort Jackson, South Carolina. <laughs> uh, I then was a pastor and seminary teacher near Jackson Square in New Orleans for the last 34 years. Well, before that, uh, my pastor in Arlington, Virginia, that I, I really learned so much from about expository preaching, and the importance of it was A.W., you guessed it, Jackson, and and then, and then for the last 34 years, I've been pastor of First Baptist Church, Jackson, Louisiana, and guess where I am today? In Jacksonville, Texas. I almost said Florida. I was there not long ago, but Jacksonville, Texas. It is very very special to be here, I assure you. Very special to be here today for me for a number of reasons that I won't go into so that we can give our attention to the Word of God. In, in talking with you all in the three days that I'm going to be with you here, uh, you will recognize that I have two daughters who say, Daddy, you're getting deaf, you need a hearing aid, and I keep resisting it. So just speak up. I will speak up, and, and I will appreciate that very much. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, third chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. That's where we're, we're going to start this morning. There was one of the Puritans, it may have been Richard Baxter, I don't remember for sure, but there was one of the Puritan preachers, they said he would, he would say, he would tell people what he was going to tell them. And then he would tell them. And then he would tell them what he told them. So I'm going to do a little bit of that, like I'm going to tell you what I intend to tell you in the three times that we have together this week. I want to talk about the threefold office of Christ. Christ, we usually say Christ as prophet, priest, and king. I'm going to take it in this order. Christ as priest, 
prophet and king, and I think you'll see the reason for that as we move along. But I don't know why, maybe it's because it's, it just sounds better to say Christ is prophet, priest, and king. You notice in Spurgeon's Catechism, and in all of them, really, confessions of faith, that's the order that is followed Christ as prophet, priest, and king, which is fine. But I want to take them up in what I believe is a more biblical Order. So we're going to deal with Christ as our great high priest today, this afternoon, Christ as our prophet, and then Thursday morning, uh, Christ as our king. There's a threefold office. I know years ago, there was a fellow that said to me, where did you get that? This business about the three offices of Christ. And I think what he was implying was that this was the invention of the reformers of the 1500s. Um, I said I got it from the Bible. And of course a lot of other people got it from the Bible as well. <clears throat> Look with me at the three times of heavenly confirmation that we have with regard to these offices. Look at Matthew chapter 3, first of all, verse 13 and following. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now for thus. It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. In this way, by accepting the sign of the repenting sinner, the Lord Jesus Christ would identify with his people. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, I believe I can demonstrate, I will try to demonstrate, uh, in short measure this morning, because of our time limitation, that what follows after this heavenly voice of confirmation rings out, that what follows is... <clears throat> An emphasis, if you may call it that, an emphasis upon the priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Turn with me to uh, the Gospel of Luke, to Luke chapter 9. Ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, verse 28. Now about eight days after these saves, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, both of whom, of course, are called prophets of God. Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, literally his exodus, his exodus which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. 
As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice out of the cloud came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Remember his baptism. This is my son. With him I am well pleased. Now, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Hear him. Listen to him. You hear a prophet. You listen to a prophet. So, listen to him. And from that time on, there seems to be an increasing confrontation that arises with the religious establishment uh, as they they began to grow more and more hostile to the Lord Jesus Christ as they had persecuted the prophets of old, you see. And there's an emphasis there, I think, on the prophetic ministry. Now turn with me to the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And uh, verse, uh, verse 27 and following. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking, and he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. Third time. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it, said it, and thundered up, said an angel spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judge of this world, now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And of course, this is in the context of the triumphal entry, going into Jerusalem, and he's been acclaimed as, uh, they, they've been told, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel, and so the emphasis, now very much, on the establishment of the kingdom, it was preached from the beginning by John the Baptist, preached by the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, from the beginning. And I'm not suggesting that we make a clean distinction on all these things, but it's a matter of emphasis, and we want to talk about what it means to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ as our priest and our prophet and our king. So this morning, for just a few moments now, Let's focus in on Christ as our, our great high priest. <clears throat> the Levitical priesthood, the Old Testament priesthood, I believe, had three major uh, functions that they were responsible for. We forget about one of them a lot of times, I think. Uh, one of them, of course, was to confirm healings. Uh, the people would have an infectious skin disease, they would have to go out, they would have to ring the bell, they would have to say unclean, unclean, and then when they were healed, they could come back, present themselves to the Levitical priest, and the Levitical priest could do what? He could confirm their healing. Yes, it looks like you're clean now, you can come back into the camp, he could confirm their healing. 
With the announcement from heaven, this is my son, with him I am well pleased. The Lord Jesus Christ began a ministry of not confirmation of healing, but what? He actually healed people. He didn't just confirm healing, but he actually healed people. Another thing that they were responsible to do was to teach the law. We forget this a lot of times, that uh, sometimes we talk about the prophets. I like the way Spurgeon does it in his catechism, that when he talks about the role of the of Christ's prophet there. Uh, he seems to, he gets it right, I think. Sometimes we just talk about the prophet alone as the one that we need to teach us, and we certainly do, and there is a there is a teaching ministry that the prophet had, but the Old Testament Levitical priest had a teaching ministry also. He was to be the instructor of the law. It was the responsibility of the Levitical priesthood to instruct the people in the law of God. They were to teach them God's ways to teach them. And when they didn't, then God many times would raise up prophets to invade against not only the people, but the priests as well because of their favor and because the children of Israel were going to spread like sheep without a shepherd. But they had this responsibility to teach the law. The Lord Jesus Christ, what did he begin to do right after his baptism? What did he do? He gathered his disciples together and he gave his exposition of the law of God. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. But that's essentially what Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is. This is the, this is the Lord Jesus Christ when he gets through. They say that he speaks as one who has authority. This was an authoritative preaching of the law of God, a teaching of the law of God, instruction in the law of God, and it went beyond what the Levitical, Levitical priests had ever been able to do, and certainly what the rabbis had been able to do. And then, of course, there was the sacrificial ministry of the Old Testament priests. They offered the sacrifices. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, God decided to come down among us to be the spotless Lamb of God and to be our great high priest. And when he went to Calvary's tree and when he was lifted up on the cross, when, when the nails were nailed into his hand, when the Lord Jesus Christ cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, he was offering the perfect sacrifice for sins, a sacrifice that transcended everything that had come before those sacrifices pointed toward the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was offering the perfect sacrifice for sin. And I want to say, I want to say that as we understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is not only our King, King of kings and Lord of lords, he is the embodiment of the kingdom of God, the perfection of the kingdom of God. We'll talk more about that Thursday morning. Not only as our Lord Jesus Christ is the great prophet who speaks the word of God that we need to hear, he is the word that is spoken at the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In the same way the Lord Jesus Christ is our great high priest, and he alone could offer the sacrifice, but the sacrifice again was the sacrifice of himself on the cross. 
Calvary. Now, turn with me for just a few moments, not a real exposition, but I just want to point some things out to you from Hebrews chapter 7. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 7. I'll do like, I think it was Thomas Baxter, I'm not sure if I'm right about that, but I'll, I'll do like whoever it was, and I'll tell you what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that the priesthood of Christ is eternal, superior to the Levitical priesthood, a priesthood that provides perfection, a vital, indestructible priesthood, a priesthood that guarantees eternal intercession, and a priesthood that has a sacrifice that does not need Repeating Hebrews chapter 7. Let's look at it. First of all, an eternal priesthood. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned the tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he's also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother, our genealogy having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever, an eternal priesthood. Verse 4, a priesthood that is superior to the Levitical priesthood, See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior, in the one case ties are received by noble men, but in the other case by one of them is testified in this. One might even say that Levi himself, who received ties, paid ties through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. A priesthood that transcends superior to the Levitical priesthood. A priesthood that provides perfection. Verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? When there's a change in the priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one to whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and that in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Verse 11 again. Perfection, perfection. If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, well, there you have it, but it wasn't. But the Lord Jesus Christ has come and provided a sacrifice that does it, that is the perfect sacrifice, the perfect righteousness of God. Sacrifice. <clears throat> and then his priesthood is, is vital, living, powerful. Indestructible, verse 15, 
This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek to become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning violent descent, but by the power of an indestructible life, for as witness of him, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. On the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Power of an indestructible life. He sang it just a few moments ago. He emerged from the grave and he is the victorious Savior. And we will see that victory worked out for all eternity. And the priesthood that guarantees eternal intercession, verse 20. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath. By the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office when he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to say to the uttermost, Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives. To make intercession for them. Oh, yes. It's there. Interceding for us. And finally, a priesthood that has a sacrifice that doesn't need repeating. Look at verses uh, 26 and following. For it is a need to that we should have such a high priest. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself, let me just read it again. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself, I, I know a little bit about Texas, and, and I know some of the religious character of Texas. Uh, Louisiana, even more so. I was pastor of the church in the inner city in New Orleans years ago, and on Sunday night, a lot of times, I would say, does anybody have a question, sort of informal, does anybody have a question, and I uh, get some strange questions sometimes, but, but, but usually give me an opportunity to address something that's in somebody's mind before we got to the message. There was a, a little fella that was a, a, obviously a street kid. He's, there were two or three of them that were walking the streets and they just came in, you know, and came down and sat on the front pew that night. So one of them raised his hand and I said, does anybody have a question? He said, Mr. He said, is it true? He said, I have heard that they kill God in these churches around here every week. They kill God. Now, do you know what he was talking about? Anybody have any idea what he was talking about? Oh, some of you are nodding your head. He was talking about sacrifice to mass. And he had heard it interpreted as they kill God every week because, because of the... the um, uh, the repetition, supposedly, of the sacrifice 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at what the right, how can, I, I just have never been able to understand it. Look at this. It is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all, once for all, when he offered up himself, for the law points men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. <clears throat> all right, well, I'm under limitations of time, but I, I want to say a couple of things about uh, the priesthood of all believers as we think about our privilege and responsibility uh, under our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. A number of years ago, I don't get around that much. Actually, the circles I move in uh, are, are pretty stable, but, but there was a time when I used to hear people say that the great Baptist distinctive is the priesthood of the believer. The great Baptist distinctive is the priesthood of the believer. So what I mean by the priesthood of the believer, the reformers taught a doctrine called the priesthood of all believers, plural, the emphasis on the collective that we are all uh, priests before the Lord, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and made priests. And we have a priestly ministry that we exercise, but they talk about the priesthood of the believer. They say, oh, we're not talking about soul competency. So where did you get that? Well, as it turned out, they generally got it from a particular preacher. I shall not name his name, but a particular preacher who had written an introduction to a book called The Actions of the Christian Religion by theologian Ewan Mullins back in the early 20th century. And Ewan Mullins, that theologian, did talk about the competence of the soul and, and then... Years later, I was talking with the preacher, and I asked him about it, and I said, do you have any idea where this term soul competence, which was interpreted by many people in Baptist circles in those days to mean you can believe any little thing you want to believe? You know, just anything. Anything goes pretty much because you're free, and that's what the priesthood of the believer is all about. I said, where this term soul competence, I said, I just can't imagine uh, 19th, 19th century Baptist theologians using a term like that, or especially Baptist theologians before that. He said, oh, no problem. He said, I invented that term in the introduction. I've never really read it. But he said, I invented that term. And so it really wasn't that old after all, and it wasn't the cardinal Baptist principle, but there is a doctrine that we can call the priesthood of all believers. It's not so much about our freedom to do this or believe that or the other, although our freedom is a part of it, but it's really about service and our privilege. As priests under our great high priest, we are enabled to come before God without any mediator save the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. 
And we are enabled to offer acceptable sacrifices to God ourselves. Saved by grace, saved by the, 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 the indestructible the life, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We now are enabled to come before God and in fact we're commanded by the Apostle Paul to present what? Our bodies as living sacrifices. We offer ourselves as sacrifices to the Lord. And I'll give you two other examples. Uh, let's just turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Right near the end of Hebrews. Hebrews 13 verses 15 and 16. Through him then let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. When you talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, you're offering the sacrifice, the spiritual sacrifice. When we sang the hymns, these great hymns of the faith this morning, we were offering, this was sacrificial work, wasn't it, you said? We were offering spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. When we sing psalms, that, hymns and spiritual psalms of the Old Testament, when we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, psalms of praise to God and psalms of experience, talking about our experience and knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a, it is a priestly work that we're engaged in. When we witness the lost, it is a priestly work that we are engaged in. And then the Apostle Paul says we're saved by grace, not by works. He says we're created in Christ Jesus unto what? Unto good works, which God had foreordained that we should walk therein. And so again, the writer of Hebrews, verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. <coughs> Let, let's stand, will you, and let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this present hour. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of that you would allow a vile and guilty sinner to so handle your word for your glory. Make it so upright. <coughs> bless all these people. Bless, bless the seminary, Lord. At the beginning of this year, Lord, bless Charlie and all the faculty members, the administrative people, all the people that serve you here in this place. Oh, Father God, let this place be a, a, a great lighthouse for the truth that we need pastors today to preach Christ. And I ask you to